This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Kings of the podcast, Dennis Bernstein, welcome back. How's it going? It's going great, John. Great Monday. Uh, great news on the vaccine front. Uh, the reverse retro jerseys are out, so uh, we're starting off the week in style. Yeah, I'm not sure which of those is going to grab uh, the, the bigger headlines on Twitter today or social media. We'll have to uh, wait and see. But yes, obviously big news this morning. The LA Kings, actually NHL-wide, they have released the reverse retro jerseys. Coming on the program to talk about that is the COO of AEG Sports. That is Kelly Cheeseman, longtime member of the Kings management staff and, and AEG Sports uh, management team as well. He's going to come on and we're going to talk a lot, DB. We're going to talk about hopefully the purple jerseys. We're going to talk about uh, getting fans back. Back in the building, what's going on at Staples Center? And I have a couple curveballs for him as well. Um, but uh, I do want to let everybody know we're coming to you live uh, from Los Angeles, of course, and we're coming from the Denny LaRock studio, not the George LaRock studio, which is what our buddy Earl Skakel would probably prefer. But this is the Denny LaRock studio. And I know, DB, you're going to ask, why uh, Denny LaRock? Who is this? So let me just break it down for you. And there's a reason. He, uh, that I picked him. He was a third-round pick for the Los Angeles Kings back at the 1986 NHL draft. He was a defenseman who only played eight NHL games for the Kings, DB. However, the tie-in here is that he was on that team. His, his eight NHL games were in the 87-88 season. So it was the last year that the Kings uh, full-time wore the foreign blue and gold jerseys uh, before they switched over to the what we commonly refer to as the Gretzky-era jerseys. And we'll be talking a lot about that with Cheeseman uh, and throughout the show today. 
which was the 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 black and white jersey that uh, you know the Kings wore when they eventually went on to the Stanley Cup final against Montreal and so on and so on. So he was part of that last group. You know, many of those players, like Luke himself, Luke was a a holdover uh, and, and wore the new colors. But this guy, eight NHL games in the 87-88 season, had a long career. Uh, he bounced around with the AHL and the IHL, long minor league career, that is. Um, but part of the, the last group to ever wear the, the last full-time forum blue and gold jerseys, DB. You're the best, Jay. That's, you always dig it up, man. So but let's get rolling. Okay, well, before we get started, we do have some Kings news and notes to cover here in the first period before we bring Kelly Cheeseman in. I do want to take a quick moment, though, remind everybody that if you like our show, be sure to check out Manscaped. They support us. You support them. And uh, then it works out nice because then you get more Kings of the podcast, and that's what you guys are asking for. So uh, hockey's almost back. You want to make sure that you're ready. It's time to throw on your favorite jersey. Make sure that you don't take a hit below the waist. Our partners over at Manscaped are here to save your boys from taking a slap shot uh, down below. So stay clean, take care of yourself where it matters most. And uh, DB, by now everybody knows you can save 20% if you go to manscaped.com. You can save 20% and get free shipping with our code KOTP2020. Pick up the all new Lawnmower 3.0. It's their uh, redesigned electric trimmer. It's one of the best hygiene tools for the modern man. It features their ceramic blade and uh, skin safe technology. It's waterproof, it's cordless. The kit that you get comes with the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver. That's their uh, deodorant and balms and whatnot. That's great for your special somebody. She'll appreciate that. And uh, for the rest of the month, as I mentioned, get 20% off plus free shipping using the code KOTP2020 at manscaped.com. Take advantage of this limited time offer at Manscaped. Uh, you take a look at their all-star lineup and try it for yourself. And hopefully all of our listeners will do that. And then... Uh, send us a, a thumbs up or a thank you on uh, Twitter, one of our other social media channels, and let us know that they, they're digging Manscaped. That would be great. So Manscaped, it's the most important tool you can use for all of your male grooming needs. I love that the lawnmower 3.0, especially that LED light, right? Because that, that's, you don't get that on any trimmer anywhere. So when you're going to be extra careful in the most sensitive areas, that, uh, that light will do you really well. You know, I'm sure, DB, that there are some people out there that are listening and sort of chuckle and laugh when we talk about this and you talk about the light and how great it is. But, you know, I'm I'm very confident that uh, it's one of those things that you laugh about until you use it and then you won't laugh anymore. And it always reminds me of the first car I ever bought with heated seats. I went to the dealer, I'm getting the, and the guy's trying to sell me on the car. He's like, you know, I need heated seats. And I was like, dude, we live in Southern California. When am I ever going to use heated seats? I've told you this story before, I know. But when am I ever going to use heated seats? And, uh, I, you know, I just laughed. I, what an idiot, right? And then a couple uh, months later, it was chilly out. I, I threw on the heated seats. And from that point forward, I swear by heated seats, I would never have another car without one. So it's just one of those things that I think the LED light, it, it always reminds me of that. People probably chuckle and think, whatever, dude, who needs an LED light on your trimmer? And then you get one and you're like, oh my God, how did I ever live without this? It's a, it's a nice little upgrade that uh, you don't think about, but once you have it, you can't live without it. Now, Dennis, uh, before we get to the ice uh, and, and, you know, hockey-related stuff, we, we do have some breaking news on the racehorse front. I think it's only appropriate that we follow up on the last episode where you gave a, a whole great uh, story and background on uh, DB Stables. Not, uh, not a good weekend uh, for the ponies. No, no. He ran Storm Shooter, ran in a stakes race, $100,000. I forget the name of the stakes race, at Belmont, and... Halfway through, he was looking good. He was on the rail on the one hole, 
And then the jockey, I don't know what he did, John, but the horse went directly in, in reverse. <laughs> I'm watching the race on, on my phone on TVG, and the horse went, it, it was like a rocket ship, John. It went <laughs> to last. So he pulled up the horse. I think it's a, a bum ride by the uh, by a Jose Ortiz, who was the jockey. I couldn't believe it. I'm sitting there, okay, he's got a legit shot here. Let's go. Oh, it's the notebook stakes. And John, straight reverse. I'm like, I never saw that before. And, it, and I'm saying, okay, the horse has got to be hurt here, whatever. And then the horse started running again. Like, and what, I think finished fifth out of seventh. But it was just, I, I never saw. Uh, right, he went John backwards and he still finished. He went backwards, yet he still finished fifth. He didn't even finish in last. What happened to the other two horses? No, he started running. No, no, no. He just started running again. It was, it was like he was on the on the back side of the track. He's ending the turn and went straight backwards, and then woke up and said, "Oh, I got to guess, I got to start racing again." And he started running. I guess I wound up finishing fifth. So it was it was. I've never seen a horse go backwards that fast in my life. Okay. I was like, "What the? What just happened?" DB. And it's great because the 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 owners have a face. It's it's reverse retro. He was he's all into the reverse. It's it just it ties in perfectly. Exactly. I don't know. There's a there's a, a private Facebook group and you go to that right after the race and you're like, what the F? Like, what just happened? What the hell? You see like 50 people responding the same way. I, John, I've never seen that before. So with all the great stuff that's happened with Authentic, like my horse went straight backwards in the wow. stakes race at Belmont on Saturday. So, yeah, it wasn't the same outcome. But, John, that's horse racing, as we talked about. Yes. That's that's the balance in the universe, DB. Uh, you know, you have a little bit in your left hand and a little bit in your right hand, and things sort of have a way of balancing out. So, I guess you won't be getting a championship ring from that uh, particular race. But best of luck in your. Do you know no. at this point when your when your next race is? Um, no, and it's funny, John, because I have an opportunity on t tomorrow morning to buy tomorrow. There's actually one. You'll you'll love this. There's a package called the the Future Stars Stable or something like that. You, you, I can buy into 14 yearlings tomorrow wow. if I want to, which I'm not sure I want to track 14 <laughs> different horses. But, um, yeah, they're going to keep going. There's another one called Moonlight D'Aro, who's training out here uh, with Richard Mandela at, uh, at Del Mar. I assume Storm Shooter, who just went in reverse, I assume he's going to run again, probably change the jockeys. I'll probably only update people when my horse wins and that goes in reverse okay winds up finishing fifth so so to, tomorrow's package that you can buy into though uh, it's 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 kind of like a fund so you have to get 14 different ones that you can't just buy one of the horses uh correct uh on the hockey front db this is this is it baby yeah. uh there, there were two breaking well i don't know if they're breaking but there were two big hockey headlines this morning and one is of course the reverse retro jerseys across the league and the other one is world junior season has officially kicked off team canada is opening up their selection camp today of course the kings will be represented by quentin byfield uh at forward and jordan spence on defense so that's outstanding. And uh, the, other, the other countries, uh, Sweden, Finland, the U.S., et cetera, they will all get their camps going here shortly. Speaking of Sweden, DB, um, I tweeted out over the weekend, and I always mention this on air just because not everybody is on Twitter, which is still shocking to me, but different story for a different day. Um, I, did, I, I have confirmed that the Kings will officially release Bjornfoot uh, for Team Sweden, which is great. There were some people that were asking, well, what if the NHL season starts? What are they going to do with Byfield? Guys, Byfield is staying with Team Canada. He's going to be one of their top players, and uh, he's expected to help carry the mail for that team. Bjorn Foot, regardless of the NHL coming back and how the camp dates will work, uh, the Kings will allow Bjorn Foot to go to Team Sweden camp and to remain with them um, throughout camp. So if everything works out right, the Kings could have 11 players at the World Juniors. That's an outside chance. Uh, one of those players who's kind of a bubble player, 
the goaltender that they just drafted this year, Markkanen, uh, he would be considered a bubble player. He did have a, a nice weekend, though. Uh, I think it was Saturday, DB. He had 39 saves, and um, he didn't give up a goal until the final minute of the game, so uh, almost had the shutout there. I'm sure the announcers jinked it. That's jinxed it. That's what fans always like to say when uh, when an announcer brings it. Oh, he jinxed it. So I'm sure that that happened in the, in the final minute of the game there. Um, one other quick note as well on King's prospects. Uh, Jamson, who we've talked about a couple of times previously, he did appear to be injured. There was a big open ice hit in the uh, offensive zone, and he uh, hurt his shoulder, it looked like. He didn't come back for the rest of the game. It happened, I think, in the second period. Um, and then he did miss the game on Saturday. Uh, from what I understand, the shoulder is okay. It just kind of rung his bell a little bit, and so they uh, decided to rest him on Saturday. So we'll have to see if he comes back for their next game. And I'm sure you were paying attention over the weekend, DB. College hockey season also kicked off. The Kings players, we had a couple of them on. By the way, uh, how great. Andre Lee and David Rennick, how great were they, DB, on the last episode? Amazing. David Rennick is one of our all-time favorite interviews. He's just, I've never seen him a happier hockey player in my life. Yeah, Rennick and Lee were both outstanding. Um, I did have an opportunity over the weekend to go back and listen to the episode and, uh, Andre Lee, just hearing the stories, him buying that Andre Kopitar jersey that he bought when he was a kid. I just thought that was a great story. Um, I, I love it when I know part of the story and then they drop a little extra on me. So I had spoken with Andre about that, uh, or Big Al, as his teammates called him. I had spoken with him about that story and him coming to Staples Center back in around 2012 when he was a kid. But I didn't know the part about him buying a jersey. So it was great uh, to, to hear the additional tidbits um, on that part of the story. And there were so many other stories. And he's so well-traveled, DB, uh, as we heard about during that episode, you know, going to Italy every summer and being in Sweden and his, his dad living in L.A. Um, what, what a great experience for a young, a young man. You know, he's, uh, he's around 20 years old. Um, and then David Rennick, I, I don't even know where to begin with that interview. There's just, there's just gold upon gold upon gold in that uh, 20 minutes that we spent with him. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I just, you know, I, I think, John, that the European players, especially Andre Lee, when you travel extensively around Europe, I just think there's a, a greater level of maturity for players coming out of Europe because they, they usually know different languages. They've traveled a little bit more. They've been, they're just more worldly. So I think that uh, that kind of adds to the mix with respect to their stories as well. Uh, yeah, speaking of, of uh, Europe and the teams that are over there, uh, Berlin did play on Friday. They lost that game uh, big. Uh, two interesting footnotes there for me. I'm not sure what's going on with Aiden Dudas and his playing time because uh, you might remember when they first started playing games over there in, in Germany, um, Dudas had a ridiculous amount of ice time in the very first game. I mean, I, I'm serious. I think he played like 35, maybe even 40 minutes. He was on the ice nonstop. And for whatever reason, I barely saw him in the second half of that game. I think he only had one shift in the third period, which is very strange for me. I know the team was losing. Maybe the coach wanted to shorten up the bench a little bit, um, but to me, when you're shortening up the bench, a guy like Aiden Dudas, who is at both ends of the ice, plays great uh, you know, in, in all three zones, he's the type of guy that you want out there trying to help uh, buzz around and create some offense. So I'm very curious what's, what we're going to see in the next game. And then Akil Thomas, boy, one of these uh, shots is going to have to go in soon. He had about three or four chances. I think he had a crossbar on one of them. He had one where he was in the slot, point blank. I don't know how that goal didn't go in. Um, so he, he's going he's gonna to pot one here soon. It looks like that they're going to stay uh, over there in Germany for the next two games. They're going to play Thursday, and then they're going to play Saturday uh, in, in this uh, tournament that's going on over there. Those are the next two games. And again, those are available on stream. You guys can uh, check that out, and I'll tweet about that if you guys would like. 
TB, speaking of, uh, or, or moving on to the NHL, though, I want to bring up something uh, that, that I think you might find interesting. A few episodes ago, we had uh, Kevin Westgarth on, and one of the little things that uh, Westgarth was talking about was the fact that after he left Los Angeles and spent some more time in the NHL, just the way that things worked out, he never came back to Staples Center and played against the Kings. And he was kind of relieved by that, if you go back and listen to the interview. And it got me thinking about something. Because of the way the trade deadline fell and then COVID and shutting down the league, the Vancouver Canucks game that was scheduled, uh, I believe, for March, uh, but it was definitely scheduled after the um, after COVID, Toffoli never came back to Staples Center uh, as a, a visiting team, uh, you know, with the visiting team. And Alec Martinez, the same thing, never came back with Vegas. And so then I started thinking about, okay, well, when the season gets going, but if there are no fans in the building, what a completely different experience both of these players might end up having in uh, Tyler Toffoli and Alec Martinez. You know, the, the whole tribute video and the whole thing and the emotion of the fans being in the building, they're going to come back most likely to an empty arena, and that's going to be their first trip back into Staples Center. That's definitely going to be awkward and weird. Yeah, and I even wonder if you even run a tribute video with no fans in the stand. I mean, I guess you could, but what's the purpose of it? I mean, you're doing it to thank them in front of the fans, so maybe you just wait until you know, they return to the building with their fans in it. Yeah, but how weird would that be? Because, you know, you will also want to give an opportunity for the Kings players on the bench to, you know, tap their sticks and do their thing. Mm-hmm. So you almost want to play the tribute video for that purpose. But then at the same time, what do you do when they then come back and there are fans in the building? Then you run the video again. And how about this one, DB? One, if not both of these players, might not even be with the team that they are currently playing for. So Alec Martinez, because, you know, Vegas, they, they love to wheel and deal there's a possibility that he'll be with a different team by the time fans are in the building. And so fans might not ever get to see in person in Los Angeles, at least uh, Alec Martinez in a Vegas golden Knights Jersey. I don't know, just little interesting tidbits. Obviously fans are more concerned with just getting back into the building. We know fans are itching to, to get back inside and and, and see hockey and see sports, you know, live in person, but uh, certainly something interesting to think about. Before we bring in Kelly Cheeseman today uh, for the second period interview, DB, I do want to bring up something uh, and get your reaction to it. The NHL has been tweeting out recently, and uh, NHL Network Radio has been doing this as well, just throwing out questions, trying to get fan engagement. You know, what's your favorite jersey? What's your favorite this? And there was one the other day that I wanted to ask you about. They put out a tweet that asked people to reply with their favorite or most memorable NHL goal that was ever scored. Uh, and so I have three that come to mind for me, um, and I'm just curious on your take first. Do you, when I when I ask that or when I say that, do you have a a memorable NHL goal to you? I have two. Um, one goes way back. the The goal that Mario Lemieux scored when he came back from Hodgkins. Oh yeah, I remember that. I guess in the '90s. Yeah, that was a good and one. And then, um, and then the Dead Marsh goal in overtime mm. against uh, against. Yeah, so th- those are the two. And currently, and Johnny, think about this current. You might have 12 or 14, but, and I think the one would be, the third one would be the Matt Green shorthanded goal against Vancouver <laughs> in 2012. Um, those are all great. Those those are. Um, and the whole reason that this uh, even showed up on my radar is that uh, Mike Fuda had replied uh, to the tweet and had mentioned Alec Martinez and the goal. Uh, from 2014, um, and then and then I was I was uh, talking to Foots about it and just you know giving my thoughts and we were sharing them. Uh, I for me, um, 
it's goal 802 is always the goal. It's always the game, too, uh, for me. That was such a historical, you know, it had such mm-hmm. historical significance. And to be there in the building, and, and I've told the story before as well, I, I was in the building in San Jose for 800 and 801 um, a couple days prior to that, and then coming back to L.A. and him scoring, Gretzky, of course, scoring goal 802, uh, you know, just, just a very, very memorable goal, memorable moment. Um, really the game that stands out in a, in a small handful of games that all these years later, you know, stand out from that time period um, for me. So there's that. There's obviously the Dustin Penner goal also in 2012 um, against the Coyotes. And uh, to see him score that goal and, and, you know, then to realize that the Kings were going to the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup final. Um, <laughs> and that game is probably so memorable just because of Dean Lombardi's reaction after the game and, and him downstairs um, being so excited and, I don't know, punching me in the arm. Um, not as hard as, as Lappy punched me in the arm one time, but uh, that, that was interesting. And then if you want to talk about the Stanley Cup games, um, because, of course, you know, back to the Martinez thing and him scoring the goal in 2014, the goal for me, um, I think I'm one of the very few people that would say this, but the goal from 2012 or 2014 that sticks out the most to me is Dustin Brown's goal in Game 6, June 11th, 2012. When Brown scored that goal, I knew at that moment, that the Kings were going to win the game. Mm-hmm. I just, I knew it. I, I, I said it at the time. I like, you know, Hey, this is it. They're winning. They're winning tonight. And I think it really goes back to the prior game, uh, the home game. And we talked about this when Dustin Penner was on the show, because uh, being in the locker room, the morning of game four, when the whole town was talking about um, the Kings winning the cup that night, and you could tell at the morning skate that the Kings were just tight. They were, they were not going to win that night. And uh, Dustin Penner even talked about it that morning in the locker room. And, um, and, and so I think knowing then, uh, you know, what had transpired over the prior this couple of, 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 uh, of games, of um, seeing Brown score that goal, that one just really stands out to me. Y- yours are fantastic though. The Mario Lemieux goal is, uh, really probably one of the greatest moments in sports of all time. I mean, um, to, to know the back history on, on Mario and, and then to come in and score that goal, it's just absolutely an amazing moment in sports. And that is why you watch sports. And that is why you want to be in the building for big sports moments. It's for moments like that. All right, DB, with all of that behind us, let's move forward. Then we have Kelly Cheeseman on the other side. He's going to come in. We're going to talk about these new purple Forum Blue and Gold Reverse Retro Kings jerseys. We have some other questions lined up for him, and uh, hopefully we'll have a good chat with Cheese after the break. We'll be back. Second period, joining us now, the COO of AEG, Kelly Cheeseman. Cheese, welcome to the program. What's up, boys? How are you guys? Well, we are doing fine. Uh, look, we have a lot to get to today, but right out of the gate, I do have to apologize to you, Cheese. I, I kind of misled you a little bit. I told you that I wanted to have you on today to talk about the new Kings jersey, which has obviously been a, a big topic over the last couple of weeks, um, and you know, also to talk about a few building-related matters and things like that. But look, the truth is, I wanted to chat with you today about one of your tweets from last month. 
And I'm gonna guess okay. you probably. I'm gonna guess you probably don't even know which one it is. So, this is gonna be a bit of a setup. Just uh, you know, bear this with is, me here. This get, is get, terrifying. Get, yeah. Well, you should this be terrifying. Uh, uh, so look. Can we can we can can we correct my title from the get go as CEO of AEG Sports? AEG I, just, Sports. I definitely don't. I'm not looking for more responsibility in the middle of COVID right now. Let's, okay. Let's just. <laughs> All right. Minimize. My mistake. Thanks. When I think of yeah, AEG, no I only no think of AEG Sports. So, all right. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> we can rightfully so. All right. Uh, here's the deal, though. This is why. This is why I wanted to have you on. Okay. On this show, uh, especially of late, we've had a lot of discussions about when certain jokes are funny and when they run out of steam. I'll just give you a couple of quick examples. Um, when when uh, the trade deadline rolls around, people talk about they they like to get after us on social media and say the Kings should make a trade with the Blue Jackets. You know, ha ha, lol. People think that's funny. It's not funny anymore. It was funny like the first three times. It's not funny anymore. And uh, right. we had we had Alex Turcott on recently. We were talking about the jerseys for Berlin, a team that you're involved with, actually. Um, and, you know, all the advertising on the jerseys. And, like, the first 700 times people talk about how that looks like NASCAR, it's not funny. And it's further not funny, uh, you know, at this right. point. So those are things, those are jokes that people think are funny that aren't funny. But, see, there are other jokes just again, stay with me here. It's gonna, it's gonna lead. To, it's gonna have a payoff here, cheese. Um, there are other jokes that that are still funny, and they're funny forever. Like Ryan Smith thinking that Manhattan Beach is not a safe place. That's funny forever. Okay. Um, Dave Joseph embarrassing us when we're driving down the street on the way to the arena in San Jose, seeing Dustin Brown and Tyler Toffoli walking, and him beeping the horn and waving like a you know teenage schoolgirl. Absolutely embarrassing. Still funny, and I'm petrified every time I hear the story. I think of myself diving onto the floor. See, these things are still funny. So anyway, where I'm going with this, uh, back to your, to, your, uh, to your tweet, is that um, we often get requests from listeners. Hey, can you get this guy on the program? You know, can you do an interview with this guy? Somebody recently, uh, this is about a month ago, they, uh, they tweeted me and said, hey, can you guys get Jared Stoll on Kings of the Podcast? And my instant reply, of course, my go-to when I think of Stoli is I had to tweet out the picture of him at the World Series with his Giants hat on. And uh, <laughs> again, little little departure here. Uh, for those that don't know the backstory, Stoll came on Mayor's Manor back in like 2012, and he explained that Scotty Hartnell had invited him to the World Series and he wanted to feel like he was fitting in. So he wore a Giants hat because he was at Candlestick or whatever, Telecom Park you know, garlic fry stadium, whatever it is. And uh, I, I, the bottom line is I still have never forgiven Stoli for doing that. So I replied, right. to, I replied to that tweet with the picture and said that as soon as Stoli burns the lid, that we'll get him on the program. To which you replied, do you remember? I do remember. Yeah, I you chirped, replied. Chirped the ter- yeah. I chirped the terrible shirt, t- t-shirt and the, and the heavy rollback sweater. <laughs> which, which, again, if you see the picture, it, it's, it's absolutely worthy of, of a solid chirp. That was an A-plus <laughs> chirp by you right there. But here's yeah. where this is going. Here's what disappointed me. Stoli didn't jump in. You tagged him. Stoli didn't jump in. He didn't. He didn't text me. He didn't reply it to, to your tweet. So what I'm wanting I to know. know, what I wanted to get you on the program to know is, have you talked to him? Has he replied? Has he offered any sort of a retort for that thin shirt and uh, you know sweater tweet that you put out? No, you know he hasn't actually. And the fact that we're just not in the office as much together and around each other, and he's a. Uh, He's in the uh, the coaching bubble right now. I have not talked to Stoli about it, but I do intend to talk to him about Good. it uh, about it when when I get the opportunity. Well, um, um, that 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 is an outfit that I I believe that only pro athletes can pull off of you know, pull off, and um, 
you know, rightfully so at that time. He could he could he could do that. Oh, he was a baller back then. But you know, he yeah. would, here's yeah. the thing. Stoli is such a good-looking guy and has such a great sense of fashion, but he has some major had some major fashion faux pas coming off of the Stanley Cup win in 2012. He, if you remember, he went to USC. He went to the game. All the guys went to the game, you know, and he tucked yeah, his yeah. jersey in. Who tucks their jersey in their jeans? That's not a thing, people. It's terrible. Yeah. Anyway. He definitely is one of the more fashion-forward players we've ever had. And, you know, sometimes that, that leads to failures. And, you know, but he, he definitely he definitely always tried. Well, those are those are fireable offenses in my uh, in my eyes. But anyway, yeah. we'll move on. This is the this is the Cheeseman podcast, not the Jared Stoll podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, we look. We have a lot to get to today with you. Want to talk about the jersey? Want to talk about what's going on at Staples Center? A lot of other topics. But I thought we'd just start with the fact that some people probably don't really know you really uh, very well. I mean, you've been with the mm-hmm. Kings now for for you know close to twenty years. Um, your backstory, though, you served as senior class president in college. You were on the baseball team. My, my personal WTF moment is that you were the athlete of the year. I'd love to talk about that. Uh, you were named at one point the top 40 under 40. And coming out of college, you worked for the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes. I mean, we have a lot of material here to talk about. T- tell us some of those, those older stories. Yeah, yeah, you're deep. You're deep in the LinkedIn page there. They're on the, <laughs> in the bio, I think, there, Johnny. Hey, I do my yeah, research, I mean, Cheese. I, I, Come on. <laughs> Well, let's let's start with the. It was scholar athlete of the year, not athlete of the year. Although I did have a good season that year, but uh, at a four point oh GPA that year, which is really what got me got me recognized. So that was a uh, that was a great recognition, and you know I was honored to get get that. So, but yeah, I mean I started, um, you know, started in sports right out of college, and and you know really in the middle of, of uh, being in college uh, at that time, there was kind of the the point at which I realized there was a business side of the sports i mean i think we all at some point in our life probably thought that people just walked up to the box office you know grabbed the ticket and walked in and didn't realize there's anything but a gm mm-hmm. and a coach and it that's really started kind of you know um coming to a conclusion for me in the middle of college i started as an engineering major actually and it was terrible um you know terrible at uh college calculus and was like this thing this ain't gonna work <laughs> So, you know, started really kind of studying the, the business side of sports and, and focusing in on it. Uh, I didn't um, math. I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, you know, I didn't get a, a degree in sports management or anything like that. I was marketing, marketing major, um, advertising and, and MIS major. And uh, but just had a chance to network my way through uh, the sports industry and got to know quite a few people. Started working for the Dodgers as a group sales greeter, which was delivering group sit, group hats on game nights, out, you know, amongst Dodger stadium and collecting enter to win cards for cruises. And then, uh, got a chance to meet Chris McGowan at that time at Staples center of the Kings. And shortly thereafter, uh, you know, was networking with Chris, took a job with the, with the ranch among quakes as a marketing manager was out there for about six months. And then Chris called me and said, yeah, I got a job for you. And, you know, when you're working in minor league baseball, um, you know, the, I think that that time my, my base pay was $17,000 a year. Sick. Wow. So going to be an account executive for the Kings and Staples Center at that time, I think my base pay was like 22000 So it was a huge raise. <laughs> so so I, just, I, just, I jumped on it, and we were a small company at that time. We were 250 employees. We were the Kings and Staples Center. That was about it. Um, the first day on the job, 
uh, Tim Lewicki came back to the sales pit and said we traded our captain, Rob Blake. And I was like, that was your first day on the job. That was my first day on the job. My <laughs> now first that I day did on not, the job. That I did not know. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I didn't have a, I didn't have a computer yet. Uh, and Chris McGowan goes, you know, the, those phones are going to start ringing. You know, you got to go pick it up. And I just picked up the 888 Kings LA line and started talking to people. So that was kind of the beginning. And then, you know, I, I mean, it's a long story. You said 20 years and, you know, I've been, able to grow up in the company and right place at the right time and outstanding leadership, outstanding ownership. Um, and just really love all the opportunities I've gotten. Yeah. It's a, it, it's a fascinating story. And, you know, I think that what's really interesting also is that at, around the time that you joined the Kings, what you kind of experienced for the next couple of years, it's almost like a deja vu. I, I'm guessing uh, that you guys are going through right now in terms of, hey, trying to hustle, trying to sell tickets on, you know, on the up and up. Uh, you know, you've made some big trades. Some guys have left, and now it's it's that recreating of the team and trying to get it to the next level again. Um, does it have a little bit of a feeling like that that you started at the bottom of the mountain, you made it to the top of the mountain, and and now you're you're on the climb back up? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely we've gone through the ups and downs you know, a number of times, really. I mean, if, if you look at that era, um, yeah, I think we were kind of in the middle. I mean, that those teams that, that year, I mean, we that's the year we beat Detroit in the first round and, you know, we're a period away from beating Colorado in the second round. And those teams were pretty damn good mm-hmm. um, for the next couple of years. And those were, you know, a good little run. And then we had the, we had the all-star game at, at that point. So, you know, I was a, as a, you know, account executive and a young salesperson really able to focus and capitalize on it and build my career. Um, but after that, obviously went through, a, you know, a big change um, and, you know, went through, started going into the downslide and then into the rebuilding stage. So, um, you know, and then obviously we're able to go all, you know, all the way through to the cups and then back down again to where we're at now. So, and then you're in different leadership positions and, through all that so it's it's a recognition of all that but i think what's most important that you know we're able to really recognize with all of those periods of times is the fans that have been with us through those periods mm-hmm. um and really knowing how um you know what's important to the fans and how we can, can communicate and explain our plans and be open as we can so i think that's you know what we've really focused on during this stage now, Staples Center was was rather dormant for most of COVID, but uh, things have started to open up uh, recently. Staples was used as a voting location. I'm just curious, um, how did that go? Did it did it sort of meet expectations? Did it beat expectations in terms of when you guys were in the planning stages of wanting to do that? Really, what were the expectations, and how did it all turn out for you? Yeah, you know, it's um, you know Alex Padilla, Secretary of State, a, you know, a good friend of mine and a good friend of the company's. Um, you know, he's a council member. And, um, here for many years and, uh, he and I are on the board of discovery cube LA together. So, you know, he came to, to me and some of the leadership very early and said, look, you know, this, with the state of COVID, we need to figure out some solutions to some better voting centers, um, in the County pretty quickly here because, you know, many of the voting centers for years, um, you know, a lot of them are assisted living homes, retirement homes, you know, underserved areas. Uh, and they just weren't going to be available for COVID. Uh, right. In addition to the fact that many of the volunteers, um, you know, are, are, are many times senior citizens. So that just doesn't work in what, what we're going through. So we started talking pretty early. Um, and then as the months went on, 
um, you know, came to the conclusion we were going to be a part of that. Um, as far as expectations go, John, I, it, it was very successful, safe, um, no issues. I think we had our numbers were just between ten and 11,000 people that ultimately voted at Staples. Really? I, I, I think, you know, the state itself, L.A. County, they just collectively – um, accessibility to voting in the state was outstanding. I mean, between the, the smooth mail-in process and then all of the different venues that were in town between Dodger Stadium, and the mm-hmm. Hollywood Pole, Pantages Theater, LAFC Stadium, Dignity Health Sports Park, SoFi Stadium, like everybody opened the doors. And, um, you know, we didn't see the long lines that you saw them in some of the other states. And, you know, I think that's what success was for us. And I'd say it absolutely met expectations yeah. uh, from a safety standpoint. No, it was certainly uh, an interesting, you know, solution uh, and alternative. And yep. I know that a lot of people were hyped about it. I had no idea. I mean, 10,000 people, that, that's a lot of people to come down and, and to vote. So that's, yeah. uh, that's great. Um, I, I'm moving on. I believe you spoke about this uh, maybe on a season ticket holder uh, Zoom call or something that you guys might have done. But uh, the remodel that, that was – either going on or planned for Staples Center. Just um, can you give any sort of updates of what the status is of the remodel at Staples? Yeah, we're on a pause. Uh, we don't know when we're going to be able to pick it back up on the physical remodel. Uh, our hope is, at, you know, at some point in, in probably 22 is probably the most realistic period in which we can restart that process. I mean, the biggest thing that told, held us back outside of, you know, the, all the significant impacts of COVID is just timing. We have no idea when you can get in and out of there based off the schedules with, with you know, four different teams going in and out of the building and when we could stop, start or stop. So uh, once that all stabilizes, which hopefully, you know, once the NBA, you know, now the NBA is stabilizing and, and NHL is starting to get to a, a you know, hopeful point of conclusion here soon, that might get us to back to when we know a schedule that we can get in and out of there and start that, that rebuild. We're committed to being, um, you know, completed by, um, you know, 2024, 2024 is our goal. So that's what we're going to stay focused on. All right. Um, going back in time just a little bit, uh, the first time that somebody had mentioned to me, Hey, LA is in the running to possibly, um, be one of the bubble cities when the NHL returns. Yep. I just thought ah, that's kind of ludicrous. But then it, in the coming days or, or in the following days and the following weeks, it started to build momentum and it almost sort of happened. So what, what can you tell us about how close was, you know, Staples Center and, and, and LA in terms of being one of those bubble cities? How close did it actually get? We were very close. Um, you know, obviously we were really quiet about it. We weren't sending out propaganda videos about um, how great it is to visit LA and showing the mountains of the Sierras uh, or anything like that. But, probably not the right time uh, to do that. Yeah. That's yeah, probably yeah. A good call. <laughs> and I'm not sure anybody got to go to the, to a BAMP or anything like that, but um, we were, we were really close and at, Jerry's always stayed um, very, very committed to, he was going to go to the safest place from a COVID standpoint. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, you know, we, we, we really kind of flared up at that time period and, uh, May was the end of May when the decision was made and it just didn't make sense. We had, we have a very tight bubble, um, at LA live and we control everything. So you don't have to look for local jurisdictions to, um, you know, serve anything we had, we had going on there. So we were a really good solution, obviously with all-star games and everything else that the NHL's had um, there, they're very familiar with us. So 
um, we were a great solution and uh, it just unfortunately didn't work out and, and the league made a great choice going to Canada um, in both the situations so and as somebody who was in the building in Edmonton believe me, <laughs> we didn't get any opportunity to go to the mountains it was uh, <laughs> basically a ghost town downtown to be honest it was guys it was really weird to come out of an arena stand the cup final game and it's desolate it's basically homeless behind the arena and that's it. There was nobody around. So, look, Kelly, you do have a, an event coming up in two weeks. Tyson Fury is going to fight at Staples Center. That's going to happen without fans. Is this going to be sort of a dry run with what we might expect uh, with respect to the NHL? Um, I, I think so. I mean, we've had we've had the Emmys at Staples, um, and I think we get the AMAs coming up here as well. So we've, we've had a, we have had a couple things going on. We've had some movie shoots and stuff. But yeah, I think I think so, Dennis. And you know, we've also been hosting, um, you know, games at Dignity Health Sports Park for the Galaxy. So we're, as a company, we're pretty prepared for, for um, you know, events without fans and all the, the aspects that go into it. And, you know, hopefully at some point during the year we get events with some sort of fans. Now, AEG does not own the building in Ontario Cheese, but um, through the sister companies, I don't know exactly how you want to explain that, but in sort yeah. of, you know, related to, uh, if nothing else, um AEG, uh, they run the building for the, the city of Ontario who owns the building. And the AHL has already said that they plan on returning on February 5th. Um, obviously, a lot can change between now and then. But uh, I, I put it out there. There is the possibility, from what I understand, that the rain could play. Now, certainly, they could play in Ontario, right? But, I mean, the rain could also, this season, play empty arena games either at Staples Center. They could even potentially play at TSPC if there are no fans in the building, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Everything's on the table right now. So you're right. We, we do manage the building through our, our sister company, ASM Global, um, out in Ontario. But we're, we're going to be able to make, and all the clubs will be able to make the, the, the choice that, um, I think is, you know, the, the best, I guess, logistics and financial choice to be able to operate and operate soundly and safely through this. So. Uh, everything's on the table, you know, January 1st, February 5th are all holding dates for both leagues. And we hope, we hope we can hit those. Kelly, uh, getting fans in the building is a, a vital part of the NHL, obviously, but um, a couple of occurrences this week in the news, a ticket master talking about doing some verification uh, or prior to test or vaccination of golden state warriors owner, uh, Joe Cobb coming up with this, this operation dub nation plan to get, 50% occupancy in the building. Um, it would not be inexpensive. He's said he's going to commit $30 million to test every player, fan, and staff member. Thoughts on, it, is that what it could evolve to or what the, 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 the likelihood of or the, the probability of doing something along those lines to get fans back in the buildings for a Kings game? Yeah, the, the, the contact tracing, the symptoms check, and, and the integrations between the fan experience are critical. Um, you know, ourselves with, our, our company and I, that we also own access uh, ticketing. We're, we're looking at all that as well. And we're also partners with clear uh, on that. So we've been investigating, you know, all of those types of technologies and, and uh, dozens or hundreds of other opportunities for the last number of months. And I, I think that's critical. I mean, the mitigation procedures to get fans back to the building is, is, you know, multi-pronged. Um, the, the testing applications, uh, like what Golden State talked about this week, are you know are a really um, good opportunity. We've looked at those 
um, over in Germany and some clubs in Germany have, I think actually tried those already as, as well. Uh, and, you know, I think if the logistics can get pulled off and it can be smoothly operated in the local governments and testing labs and stuff can support it. I, I know that our doctors and many other doctors really want to see that happen to get the population tested on a more frequent uh, basis. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think the biggest thing, and I don't want to, you know, get into politics or anything. We have to be able to make sure that um, in in our local jurisdictions that we're serving the total population when it comes to testing in addition to our fans. So uh, we're investigating a few of those opportunities now. I, I think the biggest thing is if we can get into a broader uh, testing system, like a saliva-based testing system, which is very accurate, and then get into a more at-home-based te- uh, test um, um, that's connected into the you know fan experience apps like Clear and and um, you know we can look at those as a more seamless process rather than taking tens of thousands of people through testing centers um, you know 48 hours before games or before games. I think that's more realistic and a longer term, Dennis. And um, I, I also, you know, the the price points got to be able to come down, so it's it's more equitable for the fans and for the clubs to be able to actually operate it. And at that point, then we're talking about getting back into our offices and schools and such as well. Now, Cheese, just one more in this sort of area before we move on. You said everything is on the table. So how about this one? Has there been any discussion either by the Kings or by the NHL or whatever? We know that fans in certain states are allowed back in to, uh, for sporting events, but those have largely been outdoor things, whether it's baseball or football. Hockey you know, has its own unique challenges being inside. What about playing more outdoor games? You know, you could do three outdoor games in one day going into kind of like a hub outdoor situation where you could have 10,000 fans or 15,000 fans in a 40,000 seat stadium. Uh, it's a crazy idea, but has there been any discussion? Has that ever been brought up? Yeah. I mean, again, everything's on the table. Um, all the clubs and leagues are, are, you know, are looking at every option right now. It all has uh, the same logistics and, and mass gathering um, decisions to make from a safety perspective in any circumstance. I mean, state of California, for example, we can have fans outdoor at, um, you know, at Tier Orange, which is, I think, in L.A. County, we're, we're two tiers or three tiers away from Tier Orange right now. And then we can have we can have 20% at Orange and, and 25% at Yellow. So, you know, yeah, sure, that could be something you can look at. But when can you get to Orange or Yellow? Mm-hmm. And that's the same um, case in many of the other um, jurisdictions and states and, and countries in uh, around the league so you know some people have approval and are you know are moving forward and others don't so it's you know just trying to figure out exactly where we stand from that um what's the you know the fairness to all that from a club perspective and then how are we just trying to get back to some sort of you know somewhat normal operation so I, i'd say it's all on the table but a lot still has to be worked out before we're, we're we're going that direction. All right, let's lighten the mood. 
Let's talk about the jersey. All right, this is all right. We, we were getting we were getting heavy there for a minute. Uh, re- <laughs> reverse retro. This is this is yeah. the new NHL and Adidas initiative where all the teams around the league. Everybody knows this by now. There's been, you know a lot of attention over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the debut of the jersey today. It's purple. Excuse me. It's forum blue and gold with the uh, the sort of the, the Chevy logo, the Gretzky era logo, the 89 jersey, whatever you want to call it, um, on the front. It's about time, right? People kept asking, "When are you going to do purple? When are you going to do purple?" This was like the longest yeah. tease in history. Cheese, you guys did a gray jersey, a white jersey, a silver jersey, a black jersey. Finally, people were just tired of asking, and then you guys are like, "Ha ha! Surprise! Purple jersey!" Um, <laughs> tell us, tell us some of the backstory. Uh, this has been in the works for over a year, from what I understand. So, what can you tell us about the backstory and how this jersey came to be? Yeah, I think reverse retro is actually two years. The, when we first started talking about it, a league was at our. Um, League meetings in Detroit, which was, I think, spring of two years ago. Which that's usually how long it takes. You know, John, you and I have talked about that a lot. You know, a lot over the years in terms of how long it, the process is for jerseys. Um, you know, it usually takes about two years, especially when you're talking about 31 clubs at a at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think this is a really creative in, innovation by the league and Adidas to start looking at more of these specialty type jerseys that can come in and come out, um, show homage to current happenings going on with the clubs or, you know, going back into heritage in the way this one is. So I think, you know, over in the next, um, you know, as long as Adidas has the contract, you know, I think you'll start seeing more things like this happen. Uh, and we're excited. I mean, I like the fact that we're able to bring back um, purple and gold and a new creative application um, with what is, you know, one of our most popular logos and jerseys of all time and putting them together. And I think they did a really good job from a design standpoint. Seems like the fans really, really love it. And, you know, hopefully we sell a lot of jerseys pretty quickly. Well, Mayor's Manor is now, I believe, she's 43-0 and 0, uh, in terms of breaking the news. Sorry sorry to tell you um, about the jerseys. But I will, I will admit, though, I'll, I'll be humble here. There was one element of the jersey that I did get wrong, and I wanted to ask you about it. So uh, the last article, the final article that I put out on Friday of last week regarding the jersey um, was after you guys had teased the numbers. There, you did the, uh, the teaser of the sleeve where it was the yellow uh-huh. banding with the white numbers. Now, I had originally thought that it would be white with yellow numbers, but you guys said yellow on the sleeve with white numbers. And then I said, okay, well, if there are white numbers on the sleeve, then what, what does that mean for the numbers on the back? And I went back and looked through the history, the database, right? And the, all of the purple and gold jerseys had gold numbers on the back and all of the sleeve numbers matched, but the sleeve numbers were always above the stripe. So my, my line of thinking uh, was, okay, well, if the number is on the sleeve, uh, on the stripe on the sleeve, then then that is modeling it after, to, right, rightfully so, after the 88-89 jersey. And so then I went through the that jersey, and the numbers on the sleeve match the number on the back. So I thought, oh, white numbers on the sleeve, it's going to have white numbers on the back. And then, in fact, you guys dropped the gold numbers on the back. So is there, can you shed any light on that? I really can't. I, I, very I, I would de- love very to detailed aspect, Cheese, very detailed. <laughs> I, I know. I, you know, I, I tried to track through that with you as you're, I was, uh, <laughs> as I was watching all your, uh, your articles, cause you know, you'd never get information out of me, but I love reading your articles on jerseys. Um, and just, I, I was actually getting a lot of humor and you, you spending hours trying to figure it out. Um, it, it, it did the day that they Adidas matched up both, both jerseys. We said that one looks really cool and balanced and we we're going with it. So 
terrible. <laughs> 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 you know, it, I think it's the numbering does match the last purple and gold matchup. So <laughs> that's what I, that I, you know, when I looked at that, which I actually got something for you guys. I got a question for you. So when I looked at that jersey mm-hmm. um, here last week, there's like a NHL jersey database or site yes. or something, right? Yes. The the last jersey before the the you know the '89 Gretzky black silver gold era or black silver era, their Adidas Adidas CCM is on the bottom of the jersey. Did Adidas have the contract that year? I don't remember Adidas having a jersey. Uh, prior. I don't either. Yeah, I don't either. I'll I just I mean, ran, random NHL jersey database, but I'm, it had the old like winged jersey, Adidas logo on the bottom. So I, I don't ever remember that happening. Um, I don't either. But uh, you know, there are very few people that also remember Nike having a deal at one point where the yeah. Oilers had the Nike jersey. So that was always weird. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure yeah. some um, there are some jersey honks that are listening, and they will tweet us, and they will uh, they will let us know. And then yes, I will let you know. I do appreciate the fact that at least whenever I ask you for information, and, and you always shut me down, you do so in the most polite manner possible, which is totally <laughs> different than Mike Fuda. Um, I was chirping him about this because it's back about ten years ago. One time I asked Fuda a question, and he just straight dead face looked at me and said, why would I even tell you that? And, and it just, it always, it always stuck with me. I, I had no comeback for yeah. him. Uh, I usually have a good comeback, but I did not at that particular moment. Uh, I don't know why you would tell me because that's, I gather information and I'm gathering information. So thank you. Yeah. But no, you, you are not a good, <laughs> you're not a good resource. Jeez. You're a lot of things, but you're not no. a good resource for information. <laughs> and to answer your question about why I spend so much time uh, to try to get to the bottom of it is because I take it as a personal challenge. When people tell me that I can't I do, do something, then it just really gets me motivated and gets me fired up. So uh, I look, yeah. I think the Jersey looks great. I think it looks phenomenal. And I do want to tell you uh, because people inundate me on social media with commentary about the jerseys. Every time you guys come out with the new Jersey and it has been like 98%, maybe even 99% positive. People absolutely love this Jersey. Yeah. They're going bananas for it. So congratulations to you and the NHL and Adidas. And I hope, that the thing sells like hotcakes and everybody's happy and uh you know who knows they'll find something else to complain about next year but for now everybody's happy um look last question just to uh, to ask you uh, because this has been kind of ringing in my mind at different times throughout the year this year it's been such a uh, a cause oriented year you know during covid with all of these different causes and marches and support this and support that it's been uh, I, you know people have had a lot of time at home to get behind certain causes and obviously they're very worthy causes but what has been so interesting to me is that the Kings have been at the forefront of being really socially responsible and, and being involved in social issues for many, many years now. Um, and I'm just curious, when you trace that back two, three years, I mean, maybe it's been longer, but in my mind, it's been really a lot over the last three years. What's the reasoning behind that? How did it, what's the, the genesis of that sort of happening, you know, uh, where the Kings moved from being just a sports team, just a hockey team, just a, you know, an event in Los Angeles to really being more involved? I know Kings Care has always been there, you know, but it, it hasn't been as front and center, I think, with the Kings organization as much as it has been over the last couple of years. Um, and it was really prior to it becoming the end thing to do, uh, you know, across sports teams this year. You guys have been doing it for a long time. What, what's the genesis of that? I think it's just, it's the people that lead the organization. I mean, we're, as a leadership group, it's it's meaningful for us to make an impact on our society and our city. And we want to be there in all cases and circumstances um, for the people of our city. And I think that's that's why we have such a strong fan base. We know that everybody doesn't always 
be equal in, in every issue. Um, but in, in our circumstance, that's what building a great organization is about. I mean, our, our core values are family integrity, access, compassion, and, and, you know, all those reflect the fact that you have to have, you know, all people, um, of all different situations and, and, um, forms of society and, and, and walks of life coming together to meet one goal. In our, in our case, you know, our, we are a hockey team and we want to win games, but we also want to represent our city. I, I, I often use this when Luke and I talk about things like this, when we, um, when we raise the Stanley Cup for the next time and we look out into the, you know, across our parade, we want that to be a multiple of five um, times the size of our last parade. And, you know, our crowds, our last couple of parades were phenomenal, but, you know, the city of LA is much bigger and we can accomplish that. And we have, but that, that means we have to reach out differently and represent the city differently. So that's really kind of our goal and initiative here. Um, but as I said, from the beginning on this, you know, we're, as an organization, um, the leaders within our organization were passionate about these issues and we want to make sure that we use our voice and our platform to represent them and represent them soundly. Kelly, one more for me. John at the top ran down your resume. You're on panels with respect to people's career progressions, but like a word of advice for someone that wants to get into sports, I'm sure all of us have been approached and how do I get in? Is it, would you recommend the path that you went through sales? Just a couple words of advice for people that might want to get into this industry. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Dennis. Uh, it, you know, sure, it, the, the path in through sales that I took is is a path that opens up a lot of doors because, you know, in a non-COVID world, that's where you see the majority of, of uh, entry-level opportunities to get into the organization. Um, I, I do think the industry has changed quite a bit in the last 20 years in that you know, you're starting to see a different skill sets come into the organizations on finance, legal, um, data, uh, analytics. Um, so there's a lot more opportunities. The critical thing I, I think that um, when people get in is, um, you know, start with internships while you're in school, get to know people, network, um, and then whichever direction you come in, have patience, uh, know that, you know, as Typically in sports, um, we aren't the most high-paying industry, you know, at the especially at the beginning of, of um, the careers. And you have to be patient, and but it will pay off. Uh, more often than not, the people that I see that don't succeed are the ones that aren't, aren't willing to be patient and put in the work. And we aren't a forty-hour-a-week job; we just aren't. Um, but you know, there's a lot of rewards and that comes with it. And I, I think. My biggest decision that I made when I wanted to get in sports was at the end of the day, I wanted to go to the events at the end of the, you know, after I got done with my day. And I always thought that was the coolest thing, whether I was going to work in hockey or basketball or baseball or whatever it may be. I was like, that's pretty awesome that I get to go, you know, to those games at the end of the day. So after a long day and I get to be a part of them and work on those. So that's the biggest reward. So whatever, place people get in i'd say start with internships and then just be patient and just work your tail off i don't think that's different than whether you work you know where you work um whether you're working in sports or any other industry um, but i i do know it's what i believe in and i usually see the people succeed in our organization that that have that same value 
Well, geez, it's been a a great time having you on the program. Congratulations, you did you did okay on your first visit into Kings of the Podcast. Not bad. We've had Blake on. You've been on. You can chirp Luke and tell him he hasn't been on yet. But uh, we've had some of the the leadership t- uh, group from the LA Kings on, and it's uh, it was our pleasure to talk with you today about the purple jersey and and just catch up about what's going on. Uh, hope you and your family stay safe during this time period, and uh, we can't wait to see you back at the rink soon. Absolutely. Can't wait to see you guys. Thanks for having me on, and hopefully I did as good as Nelly did. (laughs) He was pretty solid. That's true. Uh, (laughs) Kelly Cheeseman, everybody. You can follow him on Twitter, at AEG Sports Cheese, and we'll be back after the break to wrap things up. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Okay, third period. And of course, thank you to Kelly Cheeseman, COO of AEG Sports. Uh, it was great to bring him on and chat and uh, hear his thoughts on a variety of topics, uh, Dennis. Yeah, really. Uh, look, the AEG Sports is, is fortunate to have him because he's just like so focused and just gets the big picture. And I think when you're an executive, you need to look at the big picture. And Kelly is just so conversant on so many different topics that we threw at him. And uh, it was a really forthcoming interview for an executive. You know, most guys are really guarded. And I think Kelly, and that's a good one thing that we do on this podcast, John, I think when guys talk to us, they're a little bit more comfortable and they talk a little bit more and let their guard down a little bit. Um, Not to the extent where he's going to give you information going forward, (laughs) but still he was pretty forthcoming with respect to the stuff he talked about. Yeah, Cheese is, uh, he's one of a kind, that's for sure. Um, A couple of takeaways from that interview as well. They were buried in there, but if you pick them apart, he mentioned the fact that Adidas will do this again, most likely, which, of course, now has me thinking, here, I'm ready to take a victory lap of um, figuring out and, and breaking the story of what the latest jersey is going to look like, and now it looks like I have to go back into the lab, back to the drawing board again to try it. Now the, the race is on already to try to figure out the next L.A. Kings jersey. Yeah, for sure. Well, <laughs> if anybody's going to figure it out, John, it's going to be you, right? Well. I'm going to take a couple of days off and then we'll, we'll go back into the laboratory on that. Um, a few other yeah. footnotes though, DB, uh, the, the Jersey, I had mentioned this a couple episodes ago that in the original teaser video from Adidas and the NHL, they put 89 on the back of the Jersey, which struck me as odd because this is the 88, 89, uh, Jersey. Sure. But it's commonly you know known that they switched jerseys in 1988 because it was the summer of 88 when Wayne Gretzky was traded from Edmonton to Los Angeles. So it struck me as odd that 89 was the number. And then in the press release that came out this morning, um, it did mention and reference why they chose 89, which is it's an homage to 1989, which is the year that Gretzky uh, broke the record uh, for points. And so they, um, they went with 1989 as the, as the year instead of 88. So uh, interesting little footnote there. Um, there was another int- a couple of other interesting notes uh, from that interview with Cheeseman. On the outdoor game, you know, I was thinking about this after asking the question and listening to his answer. While that would be an option to play games in an outdoor bubble, um, for example, you know, because you can put 10,000 fans in a 40,000 seat stadium outdoors, but the revenue split 
it just wouldn't be there as I thought about it more listening to him because the whole idea behind those those outdoor games is to create a spectacle, to create an event. And um, it is a revenue generator. Let's not lose sight of that. You know, talk about the big picture, DB. It does generate a lot of revenue. But if you're only going to put a fourth of the fans in the building, that's going to create a problem. And then if you're going to play, say, three games, unless you're going to... Um, uh, you know, be switching out the fans for, for every one of those games. And how would you do that in a neutral site market that, uh, you know, Colorado was great because the Avs fans and the Kings fans were there. But, I mean, beyond the Avs and the Kings, if you were to put two other teams in there, say, I don't know, I'm just picking two teams, Dallas and, and Vegas, uh, you know, are the locals going to be interested in attending that game? So the revenue split might not be there. Actually, it definitely would not be there to do uh, something like that in terms of an outdoor game. No, totally agree. I, I, I don't think that's an option, but double C is as we make further progression against the virus. Okay. And he also mentioned the Adidas logo being on the back of the Kings Jersey. And so uh, during the break DB, I went back and looked up on the, uh, on the database and sure enough, the Adidas logo is on the back for three years only um, in the bottom left-hand corner. CCM was still on the Jersey, but the, the Adidas logo was over on the far left-hand side. So don't have an answer on that, but that might be something that we're going to need to look into. Yeah. You know, who might know, uh, Tap into Pete Demers, who was the equipment manager back then, and he probably gets you a pretty good answer. You know, if there was somebody that would know and remember, uh, it would be him. So absolutely, let's have to. Uh, we'll have to reach out to him and try to try to get an answer on the Adidas logo that was showing up uh, on the the backside of the the Kings jersey, the foreign blue and gold jerseys before they switched over in 1988. Um, how about a couple of thoughts, DB? The the jerseys are now out, so there's been a lot of speculation, of course, not only on Mayor's Manor but across the internet of what these different jerseys will look like. And this morning with the debut, not only of the Kings Jersey, but the reverse retro across the league, uh, we've seen a lot of different uh, designs, some better than others. And I'm just curious to have you had a chance to take a look at them yet? And if so, do you have any thoughts on sort of the winners, the losers, you know, uh, or the ones that you like and the ones you don't like? Yeah. Well, if you go to uh, Twitter, there's NHL has a thread. You can actually scroll through, scroll through and see all the 31. I've got like six or seven. Look, the Kings did a great job with theirs. Absolutely cool looking. I think a couple of the other ones, um, Washington and New York, because I'm patriotic and there's the Lake Liberty and the Eagle with the red, white, and blue. Um, Arizona, you always like the Kachina jerseys. Colorado bringing back the Fleur de Lina. Uh, the Nordiques really like that one. Buffalo, the team's never good, but the jerseys are really good. <laughs> I like the Buffalo one because if you go back to the 50th anniversary with the gold in it, they do a really good job. Um, and then Carolina bringing back the whale, I think it's kind of cool. Uh, I only think there's three losers. I don't like the Ducks one at all, John. That, that just, <laughs> that, that just yeah, you can't do that. You can't do um, that jersey. I don't even understand how that was approved. You can't do that jersey. It was terrible the first time around. You can change the colors. You can't do that jersey. Um, um, the wings look like they spent 30 seconds to design theirs. And there was really not a lot of creativity or imagination around the Islanders one. Um, so those three, I, I really didn't. I don't think it was a, much of an homage back to uh, um, to you know, retro with respect to those three. Um, you can also throw in the hat. I like that. The, seeing the Habs in blue, I kind of like. But the, the Ducks and Wings and Oz, those are the three that, that disappointed me. Yeah, I, I love the Rangers jersey just because I've always enjoyed that logo. Um, I, I'm not really a big fan of the Flyers jersey. Uh, it looks better than the leak that came out previously. Um, but still just kind of like, eh, whatever. The St. Louis Blues one in red, not a big fan of that one. Um, mm -hmm. The Vancouver one I thought looked pretty good. I think the Vegas jersey looks pretty good. I agree with you. I like the Caps jersey. I don't like the Winnipeg jersey, the gray one. 
Um, I just, I'm not digging that one at all. Uh, but you know, the one that I think is, is really strong. Oh, by the way, also don't like the Minnesota wild one with the green and the yellow. And I know it's paying homage to the North stars, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't like the way that that all played out. Um, the Panthers one is not bad, but, uh, the one that I, that I think looks really sharp, the, uh, the blue jackets one looks, looks really strong mm. and, uh, not a fan of the Calgary flames one with the, the horse head breathing fire. Just, uh, not a fan of that. Uh, but I, I'm torn on the um, I'm torn on the Coyotes one because I know they went with the peyote head. I think that's what they call that thing. Um, but the Kachina logo to me is better than than the than the head of the Coyote. Uh, although I know they're picking a particular jersey, I'm just not a fan of all the busyness that's going on at the bottom. Like if it was just a solid purple jersey with the mm-hmm. with the Coyote head. Uh, the peyote head and and maybe some type of striping at the bottom or whatever, but I don't need the the cactus and the moon and and all the other sort of stuff. I I do also want to give the Kings credit or the NHL or Adidas or whoever deserves the credit for one thing, and that is that a lot of the jerseys ended up having shoulder patches, and you see this a lot like with All Star games and and even with a lot of the Stadium Series jerseys where they put the current logos um on the shoulders as shoulder patches, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that the Kings did not do that or they did not do that on the, the foreign blue and gold because that would, have, that would have taken away from the beauty, I think, of the jersey to be able to, uh, to put a shoulder patch on there. You don't need it. You just, people know it's a Kings jersey. You don't need to put the new logo and, and, and muck up the design any further. I agree. It needs to, the, one, the best ones, John, are the clean ones. You're right. Like you're right. Yeah, I'm, I, that's a great way to put it. It needs to be a clean jersey, like the Oilers one is clean. It, it, there needs to be a balance between what they did with Detroit, which is just, it looks like a practice jersey to me, to be honest with you. I don't, it's just a white right. jersey with a, right. with a light gray stripe on the sleeve. And then, that, I mean, like, really, that's it. So that could be a great template for a practice jersey um, around the league. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's not not uh, not very, and I understand it's hard to reverse the king uh, the the wings, red and white you know jerseys. But hey, Boston managed to do something a little bit you know creative, and teams like the Blackhawks, uh, they managed to do something a little bit creative. So I mean, if you really want creative, just go to Las Vegas. That is a creative jersey because this is a team that's only been around for a couple of years, and so they had to really dig deep and come up with a backstory. And I love the backstory, you know, paying tribute to the former minor league team that was there in Las Vegas. I think that's a great idea. Uh, so that's our that's our winners and losers list for the jerseys fans. We'd love to hear what you guys think about the reverse retro idea. As long as you're just uh, keeping it fun. We don't want to hear you complain. We don't want to hear about people saying, well, this is a money grab. Oh, this is just, you know, teams have too many jerseys. Guys, lighten up a little bit. If you don't like uh, the jerseys, Teams are only going to wear them for one or two games. It's really not a big deal. Lighten up. Have some fun. That's the whole idea behind this. And uh, if you if you uh, think that a particular jersey style, you know, is, is rather interesting, we'd love to hear about it. And, uh, of course, if you don't like certain jerseys, we'll ha- we're happy to hear about that as well. But just let's have some fun with the DB. The Devils are going to wear their jerseys four times this year, which is, um, oh, really? which is interesting. But, yeah, it just yeah, – that, yeah, so they're going to wear it four times. But uh, I just think that um, – yeah, I think it's a great move by the city. And a lot of the designs are really good. If you don't like three or four, remember, there's 31 jerseys they designed. So I, I expect that not everybody's going to love all 31. But, yeah, I just think the concept is really cool, and I'm glad they came out with them. 
Well, and as Cheeseman told us, uh, it looks like there could be another new jersey for next year, some sort of a specialty thing. So over the last couple of years, there have been specialty jerseys already, guys. Just uh, the Kings have done their Legends Nights, and they've rolled out some jerseys. They had the throwbacks uh, last year for a game or two. I know Colin Hanks was tweeting about the fact that he missed out on seeing them wear the Gretzky-era jerseys, the, uh, the black, silver, and white jerseys. But the idea has been there for a game or two. And, you know, I do want to say one other thing. We didn't talk with Cheeseman about this, um, but... The Stadium Series jersey from last year, as time has gone on, DB, that jersey has kind of grown on me. And Cheeseman was the one who pointed this out to me last year. And it was, don't look at the jersey as just a standalone jersey, but look at it as the full jersey kit. And it looks really strong. And you know what? As I've gone back and looked at pictures and done different things, he's right. As a full kit, that looks much better than if you just try to judge that particular Stadium Series jersey from from Colorado Springs on its own. As a kit, that's a pretty nice kit that the Kings wore. Oh yeah, and remember the uh, the chrome helmets as well, John. Throwing that in there in the mix, yeah, it was a it was a really nice design. It's the like you mentioned, the entire package looks really really cool. All right, DB, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Kings of the Podcast. Thanks to all the listeners for uh, tuning in and hearing what we had to say, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed the Kelly Cheeseman interview. And if you have not been catching up uh, and if you've not caught up on all of the recent episodes, you can go back and do that this week, and we will have another episode out for you soon. Talk to you later, fans. Why are the children on my team into the desert to die? The human psyche is twisted. The madness rising again Another empire falling I watch them die in this pain We got our marching orders Defenders of our home and our pride We cross too many borders Penetrate suicide This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers. And 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply.